You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Morning, Impact Church. How's everybody doing? Man, it's good to be here. Man, I love worshiping Jesus with our family, with our community, and just lifting His name Hi, that's what it's all about, amen? That's why we come to this place, to lift His name up with other believers, man. And I'm so excited this morning that we're starting a brand new series. Now, I want to preface this series by saying this. This series is about suffering. So, although I'm really excited about this, I know that the Spirit is going to work in some hearts and some minds throughout this series, and there's going to be some emotions that probably play out in your life, okay? And I, I just want to I want to tell you that up front. I want you to know that when the Spirit begins to deal with us, then things begin to, to be purged from our life that don't line up with, with God's will. So as this begins to happen, right, we're going to maybe have the propensity to run away from church and run away from Jesus. So my prayer for us this morning and throughout this series is that as the Spirit begins to deal with us, we begin to chase after Jesus even more. We begin to understand the importance of community even more. We begin to understand that God is doing something even though we don't know what it is. So my prayer for us, above all else, is that God is magnified in our life throughout this series. Now, I don't know where you are. I'm sure there's people sitting in this room who are going through a season of heartache, a season of suffering, a season of pain, a season that they wish they just weren't going through. For some of you, maybe it's a physical ailment that you're dealing with, and it's just it's a struggle for you. It's, it's, just, it's really suffering physically. For some of you, maybe it's relationally. Maybe you're just dealing with some type of suffering in a relationship that you have in your life. Maybe for others of you, it's, it's a spiritual type of suffering. Maybe you just, you're, you're not where you thought you should be in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe some things have happened in your life and it's pushed you away from Him. Maybe for some of you, it's job related and you're just waiting for something to happen and nothing's happening and you're just in that moment, in that season of suffering. Or maybe for you it's something completely different and there's a suffering that's just so deep and so strong and so difficult that you've never really talked to anyone about that. Man, I want you to understand that God is for you. And that throughout this series, I really believe that we can be encouraged by some of these lessons that we learn in the book of Job. Now, I don't know if some of you saw that we were doing a study through the book of Job and you went through and saw that there's a lot of chapters. So I just want to tell you up front, we're not going through the entire book chapter by chapter because that would get us to like 2026 and we're just not doing that. All right. So we're going to do a five week series and we're going to just take some really important highlights from this story. But we we are going to start in Job chapter one verse 1, because I think that setting up this context is very important. As we know here at Impact, context is king, so without the context, we're going to miss the important points of this story. So Job chapter 1, 
verse 1 says this. There was a man in the land of Uz. Everybody say Uz. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. That's ten kids if you needed to know. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters, because they were amazing brothers, to eat and drink with them. Verse 5, And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Let's pray. God, we pray that you speak this morning through your spirit. God, I want you to do the work in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a little setup here. This dude loved God. This dude loved his family. And this dude had a lot of money, okay? That's, so you can, you can talk about the 7,000, the 3,000, the 500, the 500. All that means is he had a lot. He was the greatest of the East. He was this rich man with a big family. And what you don't see here is that it talks about his wife. But we're going to get there in chapter 2. There's a pretty good reason for that. But man, he loved God. He said he was upright. He was blameless. He turned away from evil. Man, and I would love that when I'm introduced places, people would say, hey, this is Dustin. He's an upright, blameless man who turns away from evil. I've never gotten that introduction for some reason. But I'm working on that. But man, what an introduction to this, to this guy named Job. Man, just a, a, a guy that loves God. Man, he loves God. He loves his family. And he's got a lot of money, right? And I would love that introduction as well. Man, Dustin loves God. He loves his family. He's got a lot of money. None of that, right? I do love God and love my family. Don't have a lot of money. But this is what I want you to know. He loved God and his family so much that he would pray for his kids just in case they did sin, right? He didn't say that they sinned, so I'm going to go and consecrate them. I'm going to offer burnt offerings to God on their behalf. Because they did sin, he said, no, maybe they sinned, so just in case they did, this is what I'm going to do for them. Man, what a father that was. Man, he prayed for his kids just in case. There's no just in case in my household. Like, I know my kids are sinning, so I'm praying for them like crazy. But man, this guy was just a, an upright guy. We're going to continue reading. We're going to read all of chapter 1 together, but we're going to do it quickly. Verse 6 says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, I want you to understand that sons of God here, it's just angels. So the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. So here's, here's what's going on. They're having this heavenly meeting, right? The angels come to, to meet with the Lord and Satan shows up. And God's like, man, where'd you come from? Now God knows where he came from, right? This is just, hey, what are you doing here? And Satan being the man, just the, the guy that he is, 
He says, well, you know, I've just been walking around doing what I do. Don't, you know, he's just so non-committal. And that's what he says. He says, I'm just going to and fro doing whatever. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, this, this passage could go one or two ways, right? I'm just going to be honest with you, because here's, here's what's happening. Satan is saying, hey, so you've given Job all of this stuff. He has an amazing family. He has a lot of money. You've been protecting him. That's why he's blameless and upright. So the devil is saying, hey, if you took all that stuff away from him, he would no longer praise you as the one true God. He would curse you. So why don't you take it all away? And this is what God does. God says, hey, everything he has is in your hands. You do what you want to do. Just don't touch him. So if you want to take everything away, take everything away, but don't touch him. And this is why I say this could go one or two ways, because a lot of people could get in the mindset and say, why would God allow Satan any type of power in our life? Man, what a deep theological question that is, right? And it goes even farther than that. And a lot of people ask, does Satan really need permission to do what he does? And I don't want to get into the weeds theologically, but I do want you to know this, that God is sovereign and nothing happens that he doesn't know about. And that's why this could go one or two ways, right? Because we could get to a place and say, why would a God who loves us allow the enemy to do anything in our life? Or we could go the opposite direction and say, although the enemy is getting all this stuff and he's doing this stuff, we serve a God who is ultimately in control and sovereign over all things. So this morning, as we, as we kind of tackle this, this question, why would God allow this? And we said this in Life Group Wednesday night, but we, we serve a God who loves us so much that He would allow us to be molded and chiseled into the person that He has called us to be. That He would allow us to go through things because those things are often things that take us away from Him. So He he molds, He chisels. The things that we go through that we call suffering are usually, usually things that take us away from God. And you could be sitting there saying, man, so I'm going through some, some physical pain and I don't see how anything physically is taking me away from God. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying I'm saying that God uses the struggle to bring you unto Himself. And nothing happens without God knowing that it's happening. Now, I don't want you to think that Satan is always going to God saying, hey, do I have permission to do this? Do I have permission to do this? Do I have permission to do this? Again, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here theologically, but I want you to understand that Satan was given some amount of power already on this earth, right? He's just been given that because of his fallen state. He's been given some of that power. But I do want you to see some scripture that I think will help with this. 
The Bible is pretty clear in John 10, 28. It says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Here's the good news for you as a Christ follower. That nothing can take you out of the hand of God. That once you begin to follow after Jesus, not even Satan himself can snatch you from him. Once you're his, you are his. And that's an encouragement for us today. In 1 John 5, it says this in verses 18 and 19, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we, you have to break this down just a little bit in the Greek to understand this. What it's saying is, hey, once we belong to God, God is, he is for us, right? And then it says the evil one can't touch. Now that doesn't mean that he can't do things. It means that he can't grab a hold to you, that he can't pull you away from God. Now, sometimes it feels like he is pulling, 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 and it just doesn't stop. But I want you to be encouraged this morning to understand that Jesus, because of what He's done for you, because of the Spirit in your life as a believer, the, the devil, the enemy, Satan, cannot pull you away from Him and His love. And what an encouragement that is for us this morning. Verse 13, Job chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another, and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 20. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground, and worship. Man, this is what this is what's going on. A servant comes and says, Hey, so this has happened. You've lost this amount of, of your materials. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, Hey, not only have you lost this bit, now you've lost this bit. Then another messenger comes and says, Hey, now you've lost the rest of the animals that you've had. They're all gone. And then a fourth one comes and says, Not only the animals, but all your kids are now dead. So Job has gone from the most wealthy man in the East to having nothing. Just like that. Man, what a moment this is for him. What a moment this is for him. And as, as a pastor, I get asked this question often, is it okay to be angry? Is it okay to just be in agony? Is it okay to be upset? And uh, the answer to that question is, it depends what it leads you to, right? It really depends what it leads you to. 
And we see in verse 20, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe. He is just in pain and agony. He shaves his head and he falls on the ground. And this is what it led him to. And what did he do? He worshiped. Man, all this led him to worship. This moment in his life where everything is taken away from him. This moment in his life where he he was on the, the mountaintop and now he's in the lowest of lowest valleys and it leads him to worship. Now he has emotions, he has feelings, but the response is, I'm going to fall on my face and worship the one true God. Man, and I'm so concerned for the church in 2022 because I feel like when we hit these moments, when these, when these seasons of suffering begin to, to take place in our life, instead of falling on our face in worship, we run as far away from God as we can. And what a, what a testament it is to be so close with our Heavenly Father that when these seasons of suffering take place in our life, we can do nothing but worship Him. And we can do nothing but worship our Heavenly Father. Man, this is a special time. So this is what I want to challenge you to do this morning. Is I want to challenge you to choose faith in the midst of suffering. But I want to give you some, some points here. What choosing faith doesn't do for you and what choosing faith does do. right? And we see, number one is this, what choosing faith doesn't do, it doesn't stop the pain. So he, he, he gets on his face, he worships, and we see in verse 21 it says, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge wrong with God. So here's, here's the thing. He's going through pain, he's worshiping, he's choosing faith, but then when you jump to chapter 2, he deals with more pain. So as, as God told Satan, he said, hey, you can take everything you want, but don't touch him. They have another heavenly meeting at the beginning of chapter 2, and he says, hey, well, he's, he's worshiping you because he's not really feeling that pain himself. He just lost everything. So God gives permission for Satan to touch Job at this point, but not to take his life. So he, he gets boils all over his body. I don't know if you've ever had a boil on your body, but it's not fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share something with you really quick that the second time that me and my beautiful bride ever met was in the hospital room. I was laying there in the bed, and she loved me enough to come and visit me at the hospital. Now, the reason I was laying there is because I had a boil that I had let just get out of control. It turned into some kind of MRSA junk that they talk about. I had to have surgery. I wasn't expecting any of that. They had to take some stuff out of me. They put some more stuff in me. It's just nasty, right? I was a grown man. I didn't, this was on my backside as well, right? So it just makes it worse. And I was a grown man. I couldn't, I really couldn't even go to the bathroom myself. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get into too much detail here with you, but man, it was just a, it was a rough time. The boil was horrible. I couldn't even sit down. It hurt so bad. So my dad was like, hey, do you, you want me to take you to the hospital? I was like, no, man. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, yes, man, I do want you to take me. Like, please take me to, 
to the doctor. So we went to the ER, and then they admitted me, like, immediately. And then I was there for, like, two days. But anyway, Ashley comes, because she loves me at this point, even though it's the second, it was like love at second sight for her. She loved me. Now, if you remember the first time she said she wanted to be friends, I'm just bringing that part back up to you. So it was really love at second sight. And I'm laying there in the hospital bed, and things are starting to get better. But I tell you that story to tell you that Job had these boils all over his body. So as someone who has had one before, man, I can't imagine the pain that he was dealing with. He, he made some, some homemade stuff just to cut them open, just to relieve some pain. But we see that even after he worships, he still endures more pain. So choosing faith doesn't stop the pain. And I want to be honest with you about that, that the pain continues. But we must continue to choose faith. Number two is this. It doesn't stop the questions. Now, we have questions. Now, what is happening? Why am I going through this? What's going on? What's the plan? What did I do to deserve this? There's a lot of questions that happen. We see that the, the first few chapters of Job kind of sets up the story and what's going on. He chooses faith, and then the next 35 chapters are questions. That's a lot of questions. We see that uh, in Scripture, right, that, man, people, people ask questions constantly. Jeremiah weeped, right? He couldn't, even, he couldn't even preach without just weeping and asking questions. We see that David, multiple times in the Psalms, in the songs that he wrote, he asked God, why have you left me? Where are you? He asked questions. Even in the midst of choosing faith, there were still questions. We see ultimately that Jesus is in the garden asking questions. Man, if there's any other way for this to be done, let it be. And let this this wrath pass from me. Jesus is in agony in the garden of Gethsemane and He's asking questions. So even though we choose faith, it doesn't stop the pain and it doesn't stop the questions. Number three is this, it doesn't provide logical reasons most of the time. So I'm a logical, analytical type person. I like things to kind of line up and make sense. That's just how my brain works. And man, suffering doesn't really give you those answers. It doesn't give you the reason. We go through the suffering and we really have no idea what's happening in the midst of the suffering. And we want to know. We want to know the answer. We want to know the reason. We want some logic behind it. Here is the the guy who is the greatest in the East, who is upright and blameless. He loves God. He loves his family. He's successful. And all of a sudden, everything is taken away from him. What is the purpose. What's the logic behind that? See, what we know from reading Scripture now is there's a meeting going on that Job doesn't know about. Job doesn't know that the devil is meeting with God and getting permission to do these things. Just like we have no idea what's going on in the spiritual realm most of the time on this earth. So choosing faith, it doesn't stop the pain. It doesn't stop the questions, and it doesn't provide logical reasons. And really, when we choose faith, that in itself isn't logical. When we choose faith in the midst of suffering, that's not what the world would say is logic. 
The world would say, hey, God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. If He did, you wouldn't be going through this. So just turn away and curse Him. So choosing faith isn't logical. We really see in Job chapter 2, verse 9, Job's wife, she finally comes into the picture and she says, curse God and die. Maybe that's why she wasn't mentioned in the first part, right? I'm just saying. But curse God and die. Man, and that's what the world tells us to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, puts it like this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. See, the cross makes no sense because it's suffering. So to a world who is perishing, who knows nothing about God, who doesn't understand the things of God, is foolishness to them. But to us who have believed, it's the power of God. Man, and it's the same thing with suffering. Choosing faith may not be logical to the world, but it's logical for us because we understand who is in control. There was never a time in this story where God wasn't in control. There's never a time in your life where God is not in control. Now the control may not look the way that you want it to look. And there's some of you that are just, you're waiting, right? You're waiting on something. You're waiting on a a kid to come back to find the Lord. You're waiting for a spouse to be reunited with you. You're waiting for a good report at the doctor. You're waiting for something. And I want to encourage you this morning that in the waiting, God is working. And that in the waiting, God is in control. He has never relinquished control and He never will. He is a sovereign, almighty, powerful, loving God. So if those are the things that choosing faith doesn't do, what does choosing faith do? What does choosing faith do for us? Number one is this, control. It reminds us that God is in control. It's just a reminder. And man, I'm choosing to believe that God is who He says He is. I'm choosing to believe the same God that loved me enough to send Jesus on a rescue mission for me. It loves me enough to handle the stuff that I'm going through in this life. Man, how many times have you been in a situation? And I, I'm going to share this with you uh, before I ask that question. So Ross and I, Ross oversees our Saturday serve stuff that we do. Uh, where we just serve the city just in practical, tangible ways to show God's love to them. And after our last Saturday serve, we were just talking about stuff and just things that we could do to just show God's love to the city. And I was like, man, it'd be cool if we just could could get with people that need stuff like wheelchair ramps or just stuff fixed around the house. Like we don't have we don't have those connections really yet. Like we're working on those. And Harlem, although there's need, there's just not as much need because it's still it's still a small town uh, for now, right? So it's it's just that's where we are. So we talked about that, and this week I got a text from someone in the Baptist Association in Augusta. He got a call from out of town and said, "Hey, man, my brother and my sister-in-law they live in Grovetown, and my sister-in-law just had a brain aneurysm. She's in a wheelchair, and they need a wheelchair ramp built." 
would you guys be interested in doing that? And I'm like, well, I can't build a wheelchair ramp. But I started thinking, man, so we just talked about not knowing anybody that needs this to God saying, hey, you guys want to help. I'm going to give you the opportunity because he is sovereign and he's in control. Man, he works and he comes through and he does things that we can't even fathom. And it'd be so easy to overlook that, right? It'd be so easy for me to say, well, they know we're in Harlem. They know that we love helping the community, so they just reached out to me. No, God knows our heart to help people, and He's in control, and He laid an opportunity in front of us because He is good, and He is loving, and He's in control, and He's always working. Even in the midst of suffering, He's always working. God is in control. Man, don't leave this place today without knowing the fact that God is in control. He is who He says He is. He is the Almighty God who loves you more than anybody will ever love you. Man, that's special. Now, what a Savior. What a God. What a Father we have in Him. And he's in control. Number two is this. Choosing faith, it, it reminds us of, of getting closer. It brings us closer to God. And that's kind of where we started today. And that's where I want to finish up. We're going to end here this morning. But God is working in the midst of the suffering. And through that, through that, he's drawing us closer to himself. Now, this is where we play a part in this, right? The book of James tells us, hey, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. There's an order to that. You see that? It says you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. So in the midst of suffering, our job is to draw closer to God. And as we begin to fall on our face and worship, God begins to draw us even closer to himself. I don't know if you've ever been in a season in your life where you just felt the presence of God like never before. But oftentimes those happen in the seasons of suffering. Because he's working and he's drawing and he's doing things. And then when we come out of that season, we look back and we say, man, look what God did in that season. Look what God was doing in that season. Look how God molded me in that season. Look how God blessed my family in that season. Look how God took me from here to here, not for my benefit, but for His glory and for His sake and for the kingdom of God. Now we are image bearers of the Most High God. Man, that's something that we should wear proudly. Not pridefully, but we should be proud that the creator of the universe has, has said, hey, I want you. I love you. I want you to be a part of my family. We're no longer citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. And because we're citizens of heaven, we fight like it. And even in the midst of suffering, we fight for the kingdom. We fight for the gospel. 
we fall on our face, even in the agony, even in the pain, even in the frustration, even in the anger, we fall on our face and we worship God. We allow those emotions to be stirred up within us and lead us to worship. Man, suffering will draw us closer to Him. Job didn't know how this story was going to end. But man, once we get to the end of this series and the end of this book, you're going you're to realize that Job comes out of this understanding that he just had the most intimate, amazing experience with God that he's ever had in his life. He just had the most intimate, amazing experience that he ever had in his life. I want you to think about the disciples and the, the weekend that Jesus was crucified, man, they were suffering that weekend because the guy that they thought was the Savior of the world was arrested, was beaten, and was put to death. The good news is that at the end of the weekend, they realized that He is everything that He said He is. He is the Savior of the world. He defeated death for me and for you. Man, in the suffering that they endured that weekend, they realized on Sunday, man, that it was all worth it. It was all worth it because now they know without a doubt because of the resurrection of Jesus that He is who He says He is. Man, on the other end of suffering is a moment of intimacy with God. But the intimacy doesn't start on the other end. It starts in the midst of the suffering. Where are you this morning? Man, if you're suffering, my, my challenge for you is to understand that, that pain may still be coming your way. And it's okay to have questions. It's okay to not have a logical explanation of what's going on. Choose faith anyway. Choose faith because it reminds you that God is in control. Choose faith because it brings you closer to Him. And we say this every week, but man, we're here because we want more of Jesus. That's the reason that we meet together on Sunday mornings, is because we want to experience who He is. It's not so that we are better people, it's so that we know Jesus more. So as you begin to to seek Him in the midst of the suffering, you begin to know Him more. You begin to see His heart more. You begin to understand that He is at work, that He loves you, that He has things under control, and because of that, you're drawn closer to Him and who He is. And my heart for you, my heart for you is that you constantly take those next steps, that you constantly experience Him more and more and more. He is who He says He is. And I can't get over the fact that God loved a sinner like me enough to send His one and only Son on a rescue mission for me. Because man, I don't deserve that kind of love. I just don't. I'm a filthy, wicked person. And apart from God, I am nothing. I am no one. 
but a sinner in need of a Savior. And you're not just a, we said this, right, on Easter, you're not just a mistaker. You're not just a mistaker. You're a sinner. And you need a Savior. And Jesus has, has done that. He's done everything necessary for your salvation. And when He pushed up on His nail-scarred feet and says, it is finished, to tell us that I paid in full, it counted for you. Man, this morning, maybe for you, you need to commit to follow Him for the first time ever. Maybe you've never made the decision to follow after Jesus. Today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe for some of you, your next step is just to, to start to recognize Him in the midst of the suffering. To stop running away from Him and to start running towards Him in the midst of the suffering. Understanding that yes, it hurts. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's questions, but I'm choosing faith because He's worthy and I know that He loves me and He's working. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.